Hello Life Changes Church, welcome to our YouTube channel. We have got an amazing word prepared for you, so why don't you take out your notebook and your pen as we get ready to listen to what God has for us. Um, we are starting a new series, and one that's been in the brewing for a while, one that we've been praying about, speaking about, thinking about, asking God for clarity in terms of direction and, and, and kind of the tone and the posture for us to preach into. But we are starting a new series, and if you're new to church, you're joining us at the start of the series, you haven't missed out anything, it's called Unashamed. The good news about sex. The good news. Come on, that should be exciting. The good news. I realize for many it's an awkward conversation. Some are like, we don't talk about politics. We don't talk about sex. We don't talk about money. We don't. No, we've got to talk about these things. We've got to make sure that as the church we are speaking, and I realize it's that awkward conversation. It was the 12-year-old me having an awkward conversation with my parents. I remember it clearly. I remember the funny little book they gave me. I remember it all. It was just that moment you just don't forget. I've had subsequently to navigate that own conversation with my own kids as I have three boys, but it's an incredible conversation. I've realized one that evokes high emotions for many. It's one that the wrong voices are speaking a lot about and the right voices aren't speaking enough about. And we have to make sure that at these times we are speaking truth into culture, into our world and into our life, that there's a lot to discuss in this ever-changing landscape that is called sexuality. Maybe you would agree. If you've online at all, you'll understand that I did my first series speaking about sex in 2010. It was pre-50 Shades of Grey. That's how old that was. It was a very different world. Um, uh, and, and the world was, has changed. The, spa, the, the pace at which things have changed in the last decade or two has been phenomenal. Uh, we navigate these things, but the questions that are being asked today are very different to 2010, 2000, or when I was a teenager. Well, I'm not going to tell you when that was. But the questions are different. Questions like, what is a woman? Where Supreme Court judges are being asked and they don't have an answer. I think 20 years ago, most people would have had an answer. Where questions like, isn't it the jobs, the church's role just to be inclusive and love is love and we submit to the idol of not offending anyone. Isn't that our role as the church, to be the nice guys? Don't you have to be the nicest guy in the world? I was standing next to a rugby field this week and the lady walks up to me, we're talking, she says, ah, I did a bit of Facebook stalking on you. I'm like, oh, okay. My wife was there, those are always fun moments. I'm like, yes, yes, you're like a preacher man like a religious guy. I'm like, yeah, says, but you also shout at the ref sometimes. Yes, I do. I'm both of those guys. I'm both of those guys. And, um, but I, I realize that, that we live in a world where a 50-year-old man can identify as a six-year-old girl and hang out and want to go to a six-year-old girl's bathroom. And I'm going, it's a crazy world we live in. I'm sorry. So we have to come back to truth and to anchor and the challenges the church are famous for only speaking about the bad news about sex. With this one word, no. It's like the only word I got taught. I was 16 years old, and I scraped into a young adult's conversation about sex in the first church that I was ever in. So I thought, I've got to get in there. I just made it. I was like three weeks, 16 years old. I'm in. That was the cutoff. And I realized this was going to be an interesting conversation. I walked in, and on the whiteboard behind the preacher guy who was about to speak, there was a figure of a lady drawn with numbers 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, all the way down to 10. And the question asked was, how low can you go? And I was devastated as a young teenager to realize you couldn't go very low. 
I was like, at all, actually. Um, basically, just don't start counting. Um, but uh, I truthfully, honestly believe that sexuality is beautiful, colorful, full of life and, and life bringing when we understand God's design, when we submit to that, and the king that we sing about, we buy into it, we say, he is not just king of my finances, he's not just king of my emotions, he's king of my everything, including my sexuality. And so as the church, we need to be able to have this conversation. Let me also just put this right up there. I believe it is not just the privilege, but it's also the mandate of those in the church and in marriage within the church, which we'll speak about as we go in the series, to have the best sex lives in the world. Can we say that at church? Okay, let's just put it out there. I realize some people bring kids to church. I'm fully aware. My kid is 14, and I've totally encouraged him to come to church. And we will try and temper the series in that light. And if there are conversations we need to have that will be different, we'll mention it beforehand. But I'm honest, your 14-year-old kids are having far more interesting conversations than we're going to have today. And so let's not, let's not beat around the bush. It's, it's, a, it's an interesting world we live in. And whether they're on TikTok or they're just talking to their mates, their conversations are far more colorful. But I want to say it again, I honestly believe the mandate on the church, and that's where we need to pick up the responsibility. There are far too many testimonies of the church like, no, we should have the best sex lives in marriage in the world. We're going to encourage, and I want to encourage that in this series. But a couple of reasons why we're talking about sex. Number one, in Isaiah 4, it says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. They're destroyed. They're not just damaged, they are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. And I want to speak into this area and bring light and life and truth into this area according to the Word of God. Why? Because I don't want to see more people destroyed. Because I've been in church since I was 14 years old, and I've seen chaos and destruction all around in this area. God wants to bring me I want to tell you, ignorance is not innocence. They sound similar, but they're not the same. Just because we're ignorant about something doesn't make us innocent. And we are called to grow, to be a people of a journey who are growing and allowing the Word of God to get into every area of our lives. And I've been one of those kids. I was, got saved at 14 years old, got into a church, and, and part of my prayer when I was 17, 18, was like, Lord, why didn't you save me at 25? So I could have one of those really good testimonies. You know, those ones, they share a church. Like, I was a crazy rebel, lived this wild life. I wanted one of those testimonies. I don't want to like do this, and I would wrestle it because I was intrigued by the opposite sex. I was intrigued. I am an inquisitive person, and if you know me, a little bit naughty by nature. So this has been a journey, a journey of being a teenager who loved Jesus but also thought he loved a whole bunch of other things and had to navigate that. And as I preach this series, I'm not coming, and we aren't coming as sexologists or sociologists or specialists in any area. My mandate and my privilege is to preach the gospel. And so I come as a gospel preacher, but also a pastor who's probably done a thousand or more hours with people broken in the area of sexuality. I've sat with parents who are fighting for their children because a world that is shouting a million things of confusing voices. I've sat with spouses who've messed up because there was brokenness in the story that was never uncovered or confessed and manifested in chaos later on. I've sat with people who've been abused. I've sat with people who've wept in front of me. And so I come as a pastor and I want to love you with the word of God, but it's got to be full of truth and full of grace. And we have to come courageously as the church 
And thirdly, we do a series like this because we've got to keep reminding ourselves and bringing ourselves back and anchoring ourselves on the Word of God. Because what's normal in our world, maybe even what's legal and maybe even what's celebrated in our world is so far from what the Bible says is good, pleasing, and perfect that we have to, at the church, understand that the gray areas where the world thinks is right and the Bible thinks are right were overlapping maybe many years ago. Now they are far apart. And there is a great chasm and you don't get to stand in the middle. I'm telling you, it's a challenge. So where do we start? I want to start with one quote that I used the last time. We did a sexuality series, but I absolutely love it, from a man named Abraham Kaper, different to the cricketer Adrian Kaper, different guy. This, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. The blood that poured on that cross shouted, mine. And if you're wrestling this morning, I'm telling you, Jesus shouts, you are mine. And if there's brokenness in your story, in your past or your present, Jesus shouts, mine. And if there's confusion rattling your soul right now and you're saying, I'm not sure what to do with this feeling, this emotion, the world says this, the Bible says this, I'm not even sure what Jesus says. I want to tell you, he says, mine. If you'd walk away with that knowledge today, I promise you, you'll encounter Jesus, his grace and his goodness. And I know you're in the room, married couples who maybe haven't had a conversation around sexuality. I want to encourage the conversations towards more, towards more joy, towards life, towards trusting God for more. To the young people in the world who are growing up in a world that I didn't grow up in, a world that is a battlefield from morning till night. On every app and every institution, there's a battlefield from subject choices at school. I'm telling you, it's a minefield, and we have to pour out grace towards the young people in our midst at this time. And teenagers who are processing, and and I want to just declare and tell you that I was a confused teenager, and it is the most confusing time of life. And if you don't wake up one morning as a teenager thinking, no one's ever going to love me, how can, you're a normal teenager. We're not honest about it enough in family, in the church, but you're normal. You're processing the navigating, the liminality between being a child and being an adult. And I want to ask, would you allow the grace of God to pour over you at this time? If you're struggling, perversion, pornography, I don't know. If you're you're navigating life choices like the young couples who, due to economics and challenges, are making choices like living together versus fighting the word of God that's calling for something different, we want to speak with love and grace and truth so that freedom can come. If you're struggling with same-sex attraction in the room or sexuality questions, if you're divorced and there are brokenness in your story, if you've been abused or raped, or, or, or I don't even know, I just want to tell you about Jesus today. And as we speak the series, please know this. First and foremost, it's all about Jesus. That's it. We don't get to react. This series is not a reaction to the world. I didn't sit down one day and watch an Instagram video and go, I'm going to preach the gospel. I have no fight with any human, any man, any story. Our battles are with powers and principalities. But my mandate is to preach the gospel. And I'll do that with courage because the gospel brings freedom. So I want to pray for us quick. After all of that, Jesus, you are here. Spirit of God, you are here. Would you reveal Jesus? I pray even to those in the room that would want to go on the defensive now, to those who want to shut down or maybe say, 
I don't know if I'm ready to let God into that space. I pray, would we just open up our hearts in your presence this morning to your word, to your truth, to your life, to joy that you will bring in this area, and to signs and wonders that you would have leave this place to live lives that would be signs and wonders pointing to the glory of God, rather than another testimony of the church being no different to the world, a testimony of your church and the revelation of your manifold wisdom. We thank you, God. Amen. I want to read point number one. It's all about Jesus. Every series, every series, whether we speak about money, we speak about relationships, we speak about healing or overcoming, I'm telling you it's all about Jesus. But this is what it says about Jesus in John chapter 1. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Jesus came. We celebrated at Christmas. We love little baby Jesus, but He didn't stay baby Jesus. He grew into the King of kings and the Lord of lords who is seated on His throne. It says, we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, this, is, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only who is at the Father's side, has made himself known. That word, full, the fullness of grace and truth, means completely covered, 100%. Jesus is 100% grace in all that he is, in all that he presents, in everything he does and fights for, and everywhere his blood touches, but he's also 100% truth. When we lose the truth of a picture or the grace of a picture, we lose both. You don't get to have a revelation of grace without holding on to the understanding of truth and vice versa. One preacher was preaching and he said, actually, truth without grace is just hot sauce. It's just, here's the truth. Ha, God hates sin. It's just hot sauce. It just burns. It doesn't change anything. It doesn't bring any life. It doesn't bring any revelation. On the other side, grace without truth is weak sauce. It also has no impact doesn't move us anywhere, doesn't respond, doesn't call us to response. And I'm telling you, the greatest battle of our age is not a battle in the area of sexuality. It's a battle about truth, ultimately because truth reveals Jesus. And as we preach this gospel, it is more and more offensive to the world around us. Why? See, as Lewis put it this way, if you look for truth, you may find comfort in the end. If you look for comfort, you will neither get comfort or truth, only soap, soft soap, and wishful thinking to begin, and in the end, despair. Jesus didn't mince his words. He came, John 14 said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We don't get to take that word out because we live in a world where it's my truth, your truth, their truth, some truth, maybe there's truth, there's no truth. We don't know if there's truth. Is that up or is that down? Who knows? Two plus two equals seven. That's the world we live in. That's what people, they're trying to erode truth. Why? Because ultimately, if you can erode truth, you erode God's grace and his goodness and his ability to impact and change our world. And we understand we need an anchor. I, I need an anchor. We went away last weekend. We were towing something behind a caravan that has water generally in the front. And I thought, I'm going to save a buck. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to put the water in because then I have to tow. It's clever me. You know, I save on fuel. I forgot though, it's the water at the anchor of the caravan that anchors it on that tow hitch that stops it from swaying. And next minute we get to 100 and the caravan's doing one of these. 
and the whole car is doing this. My wife goes, I'm like, don't react. <laughs> and you just fill that water tank up. You put water next minute, the caravan just sits. We need an anchor. We have to be anchored. And Jesus comes in Hebrews 12 says, I'm the, I'm the anchor for your soul. It's that it's he took on our shame on that cross so he could anchor our souls. My soul needs an anchor. It needs an anchor so I don't get angry. It needs an anchor so I don't run towards chaos that my heart defaults to. Understand this. We all have an appetite for chaos. To say we don't, we're lying to ourselves and everyone around us. All of us. All of us. And there are statements running around that if you're not anchored in Jesus, I'm telling you, you will be shaken and truth is under attack. So what is the role of the church? What's the conversation? Even as I've mentioned to people, or people have heard we're going to be speaking to the air of sexuality, the, the, the feedback, the conversation is interesting. Yeah, you tell them, pastor. You tell them what the Bible says. I'm like, mm, I'm not quite sure that's what I'm going after, to be honest. I honestly don't believe it's the church's role to condemn the world. It's not my, I'm not the judge. I'm not the jury. I don't get to stand in some moral high ground. I'm just one who's been touched by that blood we sang about. I'm just that. And when I forget that, I move out of a place of humility into arrogance. What does God say about arrogance? And I'm telling you, we'll affect nothing. And so we don't get to condemn. We don't get to critique. Mm, look at this guy. Can't believe they're saying this. Can't believe the world's doing this. Look at that guy. We're so much better. No, we're not. You're not. And when we understand that our role isn't to condemn, critique, we also got to understand that there can't be an allure towards compromise. Well, I don't want to offend anyone. So I don't want to speak into that area. I don't want to have an opinion. It's not about having opinions. It's about true believing Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. It is offensive. Let's deal with this big idol of 2023. Don't offend me. The church is called to be inclusive. Anyone can come to the cross. It is. But no one stays there. Jesus preaches his gospel. has come, but don't stay as you are. Allow the grace of God to come. Don't move beyond that cross and get stuck and start self-justifying. And at worst, we start copying. We start copying. We get caught up in the frenzy of the world. We start justifying. It's not as bad as that guy. It's not. I'm telling you, the slope is a very slippery one. I'm telling you, the slide happens quicker than you ever thought possible. People, uh, yeah, let me not get too excited. And the challenge is you're a Christian. You have to love people. I do love people. But love doesn't equal tolerance. When did that happen? How did that become such a big idol? Christians cannot be tolerant of all things because God isn't tolerant of all things. He's not, unfortunately. I, I like being liked. Is that such a sin? I, I really do. I like being liked. I don't like not being liked. And yet the gospel says to follow Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus, there's going to be times and moments where you're not going to be liked. Not because of anger in your eyes or spewing out hate out of your mouth. I think the greatest ignorance is standing on a corner going, God hates X. I think it's the greatest ignorance in the church, to be brutally honest. So God wants to speak. A friend of mine preached, and he said, we're all unique sinners because of our unique brokenness. If when we forget that, we struggle 
to have grace pouring out of our story. We struggle to process a Jesus who is 100% grace and 100% truth and present that to the world. We struggle. And we go, wow, look at your sin. And we've done this in the church. We've made some sins these glorious top five sinners, most wanted. And other ones we've stashed away and said, mm, not so bad. But the Bible says both are sin. And the Bible doesn't give a scale one to ten. It just says it's sin. Receive grace and walk. So we've got to stop reacting and start responding. So how do we do that? And I need to move on a little bit. Unashamed, the good news about sex. Maybe remember from the 90s, there was that scene in movies that became quite popular, The Walk of Shame. The 8 o'clock, someone's on a fret university, woken up in someone's room after an evening of wild drinking and casual sex, making the walk of shame, and everyone's greeting each other at 8 o'clock in the morning, your hair disheveled. And, and it became this light conversation piece. Now, that's not even a walk of shame anymore. That's... So we've got to come back to a place where we understand this thing of shame. So unashamed, I'm telling you, the design of God was that we would be a people who are unashamed. Shame came with the fall. Shame came when Adam and Eve sinned. That's where shame came. And I'm going to show you in Genesis 1. And God said, let there be light. God is this, he reveals himself as creator, as designer. Let there be light. Let Let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. Let the water under the sky be gathered to one place. And let dry ground appear. Woof, ground. This is God, creator, designer, perfect in all his ways. And let God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth. And he, he made the octopus and he made the, the what's that, the camel. Camel. I don't know. I mean, artfark. I mean... And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity sitting down and mapping out this incredible relationship that will become possible in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. I believe the Bible, that's a conversation stopper for me. There is no conversation, are we male, are we female, how many genders? It's not a conversation for me. That's going to offend a whole bunch of people right here. You see the challenge of these conversations. 20 years ago, you might have offended someone three steps of relationship away. Now I'm offending someone in my family. By preaching the the series, I'm offending people in my family, people I love, people who've known me my whole life, but I'm telling you, I choose Jesus every time. Every time. And you need to too. See, male and female, unfortunately, it doesn't depend on the feelings of mankind on that day, and God didn't factor in your feelings when he made you male or female. And when we looked at that scan at 10 weeks old, and there was a little thing at the bottom of the scan... We knew there was a boy. So it's not a conversation that I'm running into and I'm not trying to fight anyone. I'm just telling you the world has always gone down different roads. Our road is to hold the line of God, his design. And so welcome to original design. You're going to hear that language as we do the series. Today is just a teaser, a starter. Original design. God made them male and female in his image. So to erode male and female, what are we eroding? God. That's the agenda. It's evil, 
It's tactical and it's real. And it is an agenda. And the church have to stop sitting on the fence because that doesn't exist anymore. That fence is full of electricity. You get shocked. <laughs> that fence that the church has sat on for years and decades where we try to be the nice guys to everyone does not exist. So to follow Jesus is to get off the fence and to believe the Bible. It says, then it carries on, Genesis 1.28. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Not a suggestion. Male, female, get married, fill the earth, have babies. Something's got to happen for that to happen, just saying. <laughs> when Johan was doing the production meeting for the service today, he said, any props? I said, not today, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, Ken and Barbie, we're going to. And so we get to Genesis 2, and God is speaking. The God said, it is not good. It's the first time God says something's not good. He says, it's not good for man to be alone. It's not good. Amen. <laughs> Thank you, Barry. <laughs> I will make him have a helper fit for him. And it carries on, and, and we get this incredible uh, moment of, of poetry rising out of Adam. This is, at last, is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, man shall leave his father and his mother. And there's a million preachers right here. Just saying. And hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and unashamed. Before the fall, there was no shame. And we live in a world where people are walking around with shame. We're doing the walk of shame. The original walk of shame was in Eden. Because not a second later, they eat the apple. Just an apple. Just a Granny Smith green apple. And all of a sudden, they're hiding in the trees. Because it says their, their eyes were open to their nakedness. What opened their eyes? What was the shame? Why are they hiding? Why? Because sin brings in shame. And the equation changes. All changed in a moment. And so in the sexed up world of 2023, the enemy paints a thousand pictures and we put pictures on billboards and a helicopter or an airplane flies around our city shouting about mavericks every day and no one says anything. But the minute the church speaks about sex, they go, ah! Oh. It's time to speak. And so how do we walk the unashamed path in 2023? When everyone is so easily offended, when everyone is so easily triggered, where anything goes and sex sells, and no one is safe from young to old, no one is safe. The unashamed life. So the design that we call to get back to as God is bringing the renewal of all things and we're reminded that we were designed to live in a garden of presence with God where there was innocence and peace. What's the way back? I was reading Romans chapter 1 and the great writer of uh, apostle speaks and he's challenging the church and the church in Rome where there's chaos abounding. You just see in the next scriptures, he says this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. The way to an unashamed life, church, believers, sons and daughters of the living God, the way to live an unashamed life is to be unashamed of the gospel. It's to get off the fence of compromise that will sting and burn in time. 
to get off the fence of not of offending anyone, to get off the fence of, I don't want to be that different. And I've lived this my whole life. From, from, from arriving with friends at a place we didn't know we were going to strip clubs and having to walk home, I've lived this my whole life. It is hard. But the power of God is available to those who will trust Him in these times. And God is faithful. And so when we live unashamed, it is to put Jesus as a bracket at the start of my story in every area, finances, time, emotions, relationships, and to put Jesus as a bracket at the end of every part of my story, relationships, sexuality, everyone say, it's all Jesus. I trust you, God. So what is the gospel? As we come to the series, the unashamed love, the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that he lived. He died. He rose again. Why? So that there is now no condemnation for those who believe. Not in any area, any space. The unashamed life is only possible in Jesus. Not through every other method the church has tried. Isolation, seclusion, segregation. The church has tried it all. Let's hide away. I promise you now, put five Christians together, but without Jesus at the center, it'll end up in chaos. It's just a matter of time. Why? Because we inherently inherited a broken nature from Adam. That's what the Bible says. They don't need social media. They don't need Instagram. Oh, TikTok, the enemy. No, TikTok's not the enemy. I'm the enemy. I've got brokenness inside of me. I need Jesus. But stay off TikTok anyway. Um, (laughs) Free little hint. Just a little tip. But I want to give you two truths, and I want to land on one scripture, and we're going to preach these truths throughout the series First is the sexuality is designed by God. Sex is not this, oh, flip, how are they going to make babies? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, how are they going to sit around? How are they going to make kids? I don't think that's how it happened. I think when God had the same detail, and, when, and I'll listen to someone on another tell me a different design, when they can explain to me and make their own son with one touch, one word. When there's a man on this earth who can speak the son into being, I'll listen to their idea of sexuality. But until that happens, I'm going to trust the one who spoke the Son into being. Every day. And so sexuality is designed by God as a way to know Him more fully. Part of my growing relationship with my wife who stole my youth and married me at 24 years old. <laughs> but is, there's a design in, in the intimacy of this earthly relationship that reveals the potential intimacy I can have with God at such a greater level. It's designed that way. And the second to that design, knowing God is designed by God as a way of guiding and guarding my sexuality. You want to know how to walk a life of freedom in the area of sexuality? Know God. Hold on to Him. Trust Him. You want wisdom? Well, the Bible says fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Not a popular scripture in 2023, and yet it's Bible. So we're just saying the way to navigate an unashamed sexuality, and I'm speaking to teenagers, I'm speaking to older people, I'm speaking to single people, I'm speaking to people who I know have been in married lives with sexual lives who now are not in that anymore, and I'm crying out for you. I have family who are navigating the most difficult scenarios, and I'm saying, Jesus, he shouts mine to all of you and to me. So I'm going to invite the band up, and I want to read us and take us to a scripture. I'm going to jump a little bit because... There's a situation that happened in John chapter 8. It says this. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning. He came again into the temple. 
And all the people were coming to him, and he sat down and began to teach. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. And having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now in the law of Moses commanded us to stone such woman. What then do you say? They were saying this, testing him, so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone, and the woman where she was in the center of the court. Straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, Not one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go. From now on, sin no more. I just love this story because it shows me Jesus. It shows me Jesus in the context of broken sexuality. It shows me Jesus in the context of guilt. It says she was caught in the act. She wasn't just accused. Now, we don't know where the dude is because by the law of the age, they both should have been brought. So this was a setup for Jesus. But she's caught in the act. She is guilty. She's not standing there going, I'm not guilty. I just fell into that bed. You know, you know the classic statement? I, I've sat, one man, we just talk. I say, how did this happen? He says, well, I just, I just fell into it. You didn't stumble and fall into that relationship. You didn't. She doesn't go, I'm, I'm innocent. But the king of kings, The one who said when those, in, in, in the Exodus, when, when the third plague came and the next invaded and the, the magician said, it must be the work of the finger of God. The same one who ministered and he, del, he says that he delivered demons and he, he drove out demons out of the sick by the power of the finger of God. That same finger gets down. He doesn't defend, he doesn't attack, he just gets down. I'm telling you, church, if we're going to have any influence into this world, we've got to get down. We've got to humble ourselves. I get scared sometimes when I hear Christians speak about this generation, writing them off as the sexually perverse generation. I'm going, really? Any other generation was any better? We just didn't know about it. No one heard about it. We just didn't have the opportunities they have now. I, I shudder to think of my 13-year-old self and every dirty thought that went through my mind with a phone in my hand and access to pornography every second of the day. I shudder. And the God whose finger pointed and the, the moons began to move and the sun began to burn takes that same finger and puts it in the dirt of soil. gets up and he says, if you haven't sinned, you throw. See, the law was that the eyewitnesses had to be the first to throw the stone. You couldn't be an eyewitness and not partake in the judgment. So it says, you eyewitnesses, you who caught her in the, in the act of adultery, you come and throw the first stone. He gets back down again. He takes 
The hand that formed the stars and he puts a finger in the dirt and he writes something we don't know. He says, but the older ones first. But one by one they leave and it's just Jesus and this lady. You want to know about grace? You want to be a church who understands grace? You want to people who are able to receive grace? See Jesus in the dirt with his glorious finger that with one touch could have smited armies and open seas. He writes in the dirt. But then he makes another statement. He doesn't stop. He says to her, Great, now go and sin no more. He says, Stop it. And I'm telling you, the gospel comes this morning and says, I love you, and I'll get in the dirt with you, but you've got to stop it. You've got to trust me that I'm more than able and more than enough. I, I, I can give you everything for life and godliness. That is the promise of Thessalonians. Jesus, 100% grace and 100% truth, navigates the trickiness of his age, and he's calling the church to do the same. And I'm telling you, it'll start, and we'll start having influence, and we'll start having an impact when we get down in the dirt and we remind ourselves it's only by his grace. And our ability to walk the road is only because of His grace. It's also the power to walk that road. See, we read that story and we think we were, there were people watching. There were the scribes trying to trick Jesus and there were His followers. We think maybe we're just His followers. No, I'm the woman. I am a sinner. It might shock you to think, but I've stood sometimes before preaching and to go, God, I'm so sorry for that. That thought, that idea, I'm so sorry. I want to come back. I've made a thousand and thousands of broken promises to God in my life. Thousands. I remember being 16 years old and, and, and coming to church with all sorts of agendas. Like, I want to worship Jesus, but I really like her. That's the picture of my heart. And my pastor, Rory Dyer, would walk around the hall. And I'm telling you, he'd walk on that side and I would walk that side. Because I didn't want him to see what was in my heart. But I'm so grateful for a God who got down in the dirt. My dirt. As we come to this series, I want to ask you to see Jesus. If you're broken and your sexuality is broken, I want to ask you to see Jesus. If you're struggling and you're angry with what's going on in the world, I ask you, will you see Jesus? If you're confused and you're fighting and your, your friends are shouting one thing that looks different to the world, I ask, would you just see Jesus? Please don't even see me. Don't see the church. Don't see Jesus. He loves you and he shouts, mine! And his blood, every drop that poured out, shouted, mine! Every time. What an amazing, amazing word. If you would like to find out about what's happening in the life of the church, why don't you follow us on our social media, Instagram or Facebook, or you can go into our website, lifechanges.org.za. Thank you so much for watching that video. Be blessed.